0: Hello and welcome to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the key trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar and happy Ag Day to all our listeners. Thanks for listening into episode number 159. We actually passed a big milestone for the Commodity Conversations podcast this week with over 100,000 downloads. So we have a lot to celebrate today and it's been great to see all the messaging out there of the very passionate people sharing their stories about why they love agriculture and working in the industry. And speaking of passionate people, that's as good a segue as any to introduce our guest on today's episode, Jason Tromph. For those in the sheep job, that name will probably be pretty familiar to you. Jason launched a training program called Lambs Alive in 2019 to help lift production rates and yield more profit and better welfare for animals. He's also been a big part of the Lifetime Yew Management and bred Well, Fed Well program. So it's our pleasure to have Jason on today to dive a bit deeper into this lamb marketing season, what's happened on farm to delay supply as well as we'll talk a bit about pasture management and lamb survival. Before we get to the episode, though, a quick cover of cattle and wool markets. So it was another blinder of a week for the cattle market, with rain spreading that grass fever. The Eastern Young Cattle Indicator pushed through 1,100 cents per kilo carcass weight momentarily. Cows also hit record prices, but it's not only sale yard prices that have surged higher. The 90cl export trim of beef, which is our grinding beef that we send to the US, has also been increasing in price in recent weeks, as reports from US importers are that they're really struggling to secure orders at the moment. The wool market had an overall stronger week, although for a change in sentiment, the drivers of the market were the broader merino types and the carding sections. While Sydney fine wool prices lifted, the larger offering in Melbourne saw the fine wool types all lose ground and that really took a drag on the market. Well I hope you enjoy this episode. It isn't all economics and markets today. We've even got some science in there for you. So sit back and soak it all in and I'll leave you with Robert Herman and Jason Trump.
1: Well we've been talking about the land market because it is the lamb marketing season, but this year we've also been talking about the different or the difficulties with getting lambs to market and trying to monitor what's going on. So we thought, well, why don't we actually go to somebody who's out there in the field, talking to the growers, talking to the producers, talking to the farmers who have these lambs and find out what's going on. So it's a great pleasure to again welcome Jason Trump onto the uh, Commodity Conversations podcast. Jason, welcome. Uh, thanks very much for having me
2: again, Rob. It's uh, nice to be here on the uh, Commodity Conversations podcast and um, yeah, it's, uh, nice to reciprocate what you've done for me a few times. You know, great pleasure to be here.
1: Well, we uh, we, we do go back away because we uh, we both played for the same footy team at one stage, but um we'll talk yeah. about that. We won't talk too much about that, I don't think. That's all we've we'll been pay painted history. But look, what is really interesting it has been the lamb supply this year. And you know, we we sort of have a bit of a view on what's going to come through. We know that you know, slaughter and markets get humbled a bit this time of the year. And, um, you know, last week was a big week. It was a 12.6% increase in uh, in slaughter, but it's still 7% below last year and 13% below the average. Now, what I've, what we have noticed is that it is a funny old season. And this wet... Jason, what are your clients experiencing uh, as a result of this season? How are those lambs coming on? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a major, the
1: major reason for your
2: observation that, that I'm seeing on farm right across, right across Eastern Australia in particular is subdued or compromised lamb growth rates right from birth to point of sale. So I'm talking farms that would consistently grow lambs out of non-merino use by terminal or composite size north of 350 grams a day from birth to point of sale. Um, yeah. Many of those are coming in more around 280. And some worse than that, some might just be getting over 300. Now, you'll have the listener say, oh, Trompion beating you this year, you know, and that, that might be true. But uh, on a widespread basis, I can sort of talk you through some of the
1: reasons why we're seeing those um, subdued lamb growth rates. Now, just before you get into that, because uh, we'd really like to know that, because I think one of the things that we like to focus on here is when you do observe something, don't just say, "Well, that's what's happening," but let's talk about what are the learnings, what can we take out of it. Yeah. So, how was the sheep health? I'm guessing it's sheep health that's being impacted that's holding back those growth rates. Yeah,
2: look, it's 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 more than just sheep health. It's uh, sheep health part of it. The precursor that uh, to it though. Um, even if we hadn't remained or got quite wet like we did in July and in a, a wet spring, the compromising growth rates was actually set up. The die was cast on that uh, in about February when regions got this really early autumn break. They hadn't cleaned out the dry matter off their pastures because um, we're, uh, you know, all planning for an April May break, Bob, so we've got a swath of yep. feed still on farm from the big spring the year before. And um, many of those dry species, uh, dry grasses in particular, have a little effect on germinating clover. So what happened, two things happen In the summer is less light. In a shorter summer, you've had less light to get in and soften the clover seed ready for germination. And then the subsequent thing that happens is that that manages to germinate is competing against, let's call it almost like a toxic liquid that that comes off when the rain hits the dry residue in the grass, which retards the growth of clover that does germinate. So you've got a double whammy that less germinated and and then um, it doesn't compete very well in that swath of dead feed. And the net outcome of that is sub clover percentages throughout New South Wales uh, and Victoria in a lot of cases were less than half of the year before. And we know sub clover really drives our systems; certainly drives nitrogen to grow grass, but it grows lambs really quick. You know why it grows
1: lambs really quick, Rob? No, uh, no. But uh, this will be the this will be the takeaway for the day. <laughs>
2: Most people say it's because of the higher protein content in the clover than in the grass, but if you've got a uh, really high quality ryegrass pasture, you know, only a 1,000, sort of 1,500 kilos of that vegetative phase, it's actually really high in protein as well. The difference is the amount of lignin in the clover plant is a lot less than it is in the grass, and what that ultimately impacts upon is the rate of passage through the gut. So the answer to that question is the reason that lambs grow quick is, yeah, yeah it's chocolate, but it's they can process lots of that chocolate. Yep. And the rate of passage through the gut enables to really drive that growth rate. And uh, so clover percentages was down. That's number one.
1: So if, just before you go on there, Jason, I mean, I'm always accused of going to solutions too quick, but let's, let's not um, lose that thought that you've just um, explained then. You, let's take you back to February or January even, what would you be doing at that time to try and um, mitigate this outcome that you've just, you've just outlined?
2: Yeah, wow. Gee, this this is a challenging one. I mean, you and I have been in forums where we talk about managing varying seasons. Probably not very often we would recommend to have your past in early February, you know, down where you've got you know, say 1,500 kilos of dry matter and you've opened up that pasture ready for the break, the reason we would not normally recommend that for early February when the autumn break, which was the summer break really, is because if we got a normal break, say up here in Benalla, it's So it's a difficult one to recommend recommended. The only thing maybe would be with these more out-of-season rains is to, is to have a proportion of your pastures that you've prepared down to that 1,500 or 2 tonne and you're just letting them sit there. So at least not all your pastures end up in one condition, wrong Yeah, yeah. So so you've taken a subset of your paddocks that know that are really good production paddocks. That the last thing you want in these finishing paddocks while for dry feed is a handbrake for the whole year. And so that's probably about all I could say, but you couldn't um, give the recommendation to have your whole farm prepared for a February break every year.
1: Yeah, now... What about? Um, I think yeah, I think that's that's right. I mean, there's no real answer to that, and um, and that's a difficult one because uh, you know, like you say, we're we're more used to dealing with where the rain doesn't come than when the rain, rain yeah. does come. So early. look, what we did to be precise, running from behind,
2: we we certainly didn't do too much locking up of sheep because the pastures were already quite grassy. So we backed off our farming containment you're getting that earlier growth and we tried to keep a lot of pressure on those plants then and you're juggling another ball there that you don't want to when it did go dry sort of in April May there you sort of don't want to kill off the grass but what we tried to do was to open up the sward a bit so that when the proper season got going in May June that more clover might come. But yeah it helped but it wasn't like it would normally be so um and then I think the additional thing that really hurt was how wet it got in July, August, Rob, um, you know, that's further presented the challenge to really be able to sort of really graze pastures super hard to try and set up that pasture quality for the spring. And just the last thing on this note is, you know, if you want to grow lambs quick in October, November, your pastures, you know, at the 1st of August need to be tight. And to define that, if you've got pasture covers that are closer to two tonne per hectare than one tonne, you'll never catch up with them unless you're working with Rob Herman and you're trading lambs or something like that and bringing in a huge swath of animals. If you're a breeding system and you're sitting at 1st of August with two tonne of feed, pasture quality two months later is going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, so we've sort uh, of... uh, Yeah, you go
2: on. Combination of height and composition and, and really working our pastures, you know, our nutrient management strategy and, and so on. You know, if I if I finish off by saying, and, and you'll probably get a text and grumbling about, I have noticed a bit of an overcorrection towards almost excess spelling of pastures and carrying really high pasture covers. So some sheep, sheep systems drifting more towards like cattle systems. When you do that, sub-clover percentage drops and lamb growth rate drops. On a per head basis, on a per hectare basis, um, one might argue that they're still going quite well because they're running the numbers. But just really watch that per head performance because uh, all the rotational grazing work that's been done, intensive rotational studies in sheep, show a real trade-off with lamb growth rate.
1: Yeah, okay. Look, I want to just pivot you to, you know, one of the subjects that you've been doing a lot of work on, and that is reproduction, uh, lamb survivability, fecundity, fertility, all those things. Are we seeing any progress in that area? Because I'm, I know that you're working with a lot of people on this, it's, and it's a, it's a tough one because uh, there's a whole lot of balls in the air to try and get that right. Are we seeing any progress in that area, and is it likely to be a big contributor to lamb numbers You know, in the next year or two? Oh, Rob, um,
2: we, we are making some progress, although you're be right on the pulse of media coverage in the last 24 hours from the MLA AWI survey and I just got a merino marking percentage but the non marino use was at 110% now I can tell you when I started on this journey and many years ago and I have about as many follicles on the top of my head as you <laughs> and, um I think I, I, in one of my reports to a student, the long-term marking rate in the Hamilton Monitor Farms Project for non marino youth was 110%. So <laughs> um, there's still so much scope for improvement. We have seen, I will call it, some more seasonal uplifts in the last couple of years coming up for 18-19. So 20 and 21 for many farms, and some of your listeners will have delivered record marking rates. Uh, a short-term sort of boost off off a, off a low base. Uh, long-term, this is something we are seriously still got to work on. This. You know, when I see those numbers overnight, basically, I was reading it last night, you know, those non-merino types, for example, the average scanning rate's 150 and the average marking rate's 110. So you and your listeners can do the numbers and you'd be a great place to put some numbers around what that lost opportunity that's slipping through people's fingers is. Is really costing. Them.
1: So is most of that uh, slippage um, between um, scanning and lambing, or or is a or is or what percentage of it is in lambing to weaning? You know, where are, are the, is the mothering the vast, instincts? The vast
2: majority of it, Rob, is in the first three days of life. So um, many lambs are, b- are born that, that don't necessarily uh, survive, and there's a whole range of reasons around that. Uh, birth weight's important body composition of the lamb is important that is having plenty of uh, body tissue metabolizable fat uh, muscle also so that the lamb comes out like a little radiator rather than a chili bin that's just a big lanky lamb with a heap of bones and and skin to lose and expel heat and not not that body tissue on board so birth weight body composition and privacy in the lambing paddock. three absolutely critical factors that take a fair bit of unpacking each of them. But um, to stay at a high level with your question, in certain circumstances, in certain age, you know, in the order of sort of uh, 10% or so loss um, due to late abortion. So, for example, trials that have been done in young ewes who've made news have sort of shown an improvement. canceler back leaders, causes late pregnancy abortion when treated. That's lifted marking rates by about 9% treated compared to untreated. But that still doesn't account for that whole gap, Rob. So, you know, the vast majority of the loss, I'm saying in the order of 90% of it is happening
1: uh, in and around the birth site and in the few days of first few days of life. Well, I'm talking to Jason Trump today on Commodity Conversations and um, I can tell you that we look at prices and we know that markets are are very strong for red meat in general. Um, (laughs) So I would think there's a big incentive to try and get as many, well, get as many bodies on the ground as you can and get them to surviving and get them uh, growing so that you've got um, product to sell, red meat to sell in these markets. So if you're looking for, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking, gee, this bloke seems to know what he's talking about. Have a Google of what some of the work that Jason's done, and it's it's very widespread. and And you to be commended, mate, for um, for putting yourself out on this project because um, we really need the sheep industry to be firing. And uh, I guess you've got clients who are who are committed to that and optimistic as well. Yeah. Uh, look, and and uh, you know
2: we're we're super positive, but at the same time putting out putting the acid on each other. It's like having that critical friend on your shoulder to keep you focused so the d's win the flag but they could come six next year if they're drinking champagne and we've got to be careful that with these high prices complacency is not creeping in way back when i did my phd the dairy industry showed that it had highest rates of productivity gain when the price of milk was low, lowest and they had built a culture amongst the farmers to really improve their game you know when under pressure and we've just got to keep working on each other to keep improving and in in you know without sounding two out there for you mate compared to the footy rooms in in a quite a holistic manner there's a a fair lens to most of these components you know sure there's production sure there's profit but you know we want to run these systems in a welfare friendly care for the well-being of our breeding use so that you can market this product you know to the world and and uh, you know, as you were talking about, I was thinking. You know, you, I think a lot of people are thinking about the males. You know, more lambs on the ground. You know, more more lambs, lambs to market to harvest. You know, she's a female game in this industry at the moment, and, and you're the bean counter. And those replacement ewes are, are absolutely worth gold, either as to the individual farmer or sold as surplus ewes. So, regardless of the sex of the lamb, you know, we desperately need them, and. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things I love and I'm, I challenge you a bit about, Rob, compared to sheep and beef is we can have our cake and eat it too in the sheep world, you know. We can sustain our turnoff rate and rebuild simultaneously. We don't have to go into generation-low turn-off like the cattle industry's done to rebuild the herd to then tomorrow in a year's time or so turn the flood on again. The sheep job, we can we can manage that better than that. We're maturing as an industry to... Control supply through the advent of feedlotting, better on-farm practices, you know, a bit of maturity in the industry, and and the global demand for the product. It seems to be able to soak up whatever we can produce, mate.
1: Well, it's um, it's been terrific talking to you, Jason, because the uh, whether you whether you like it or not, uh, your passion for the sheep industry comes through in your voice. I've um, I've heard you speak to growers and. Uh, one of the things that's changed and might be the thing that helps us all out is that people are getting together and, and discussing what they're doing, what works well, what doesn't work well, learning together. That wasn't always the case in farming, certainly wasn't back in the day when I started. And, uh, and the work that you're doing to facilitate that is fantastic. Um, you're, you're certainly getting, um, getting around the country, I know that, and uh, you must be seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of enterprises. Now, look, just to wind up, we always give you a left field question and you've actually raised the footy thing. And uh, uh, and for those who aren't in in uh, the southern states, I guess, or AFL-orientated, um, you should know that Jason was a fearsome footballer in his day. <laughs> <laughs> now, the question for you, Jason, is next year, who do you think will win the Premiership and who do you hope will win the Premiership? You're right. That's, that's, on both fronts, it's actually easy. So... Uh,
2: I've uh, got some mates and a whole cohort in our Lamb's Alive membership that are avid Richmond supporters. They come on the hookups we do on the Sunday night with their Richmond banners and all sorts of stuff in the background. I reckon we could have a case of a sleeping giant this year that Richmond, uh, we know they're very well coached and super well-administrated. This is hard for me to say, given I who I barrack for. But I would not like to be playing... Against Richmond in the finals next year I'm not going to say they'll start off as the best team But I think you'll find that they're going to have One last serious lash at it Um, So I'm saying Richmond for the flag But I wish going to be Carlton, so all we get a crack at Is the first round of the year The first non-COVID impacted Audience at the MCG 90,000 plus Hopefully the Blues can get one up in the home and away season At least
1: Well. Well, look, all the best. Perhaps we should make that a uh, make that an yeah. event. We get down there on that Thursday and have a look together. I'd love to uh, love to be, watch the footy with you again. But uh, thanks very much. You mentioned Lambs Alive. I mean, it, it is a really serious um, enterprise in in assisting uh, our lamb and our red meat industry in general uh, in in improving and keeping, as you say, keeping each other honest. Well done. Thanks for joining Commodity Conversations and we look forward to seeing you again soon, Jason. Yeah, no,
2: and we uh, we we'd love it both ways and uh, look forward to having you on Lambs Alive for a bit of an update as people are judging what they're going to do with all these lambs uh, in, into the new year. But, uh, you know, just to round off that lamb performance conversation, the other factor we didn't have time to discuss on the sheep health front, certainly in these long, wet growing seasons, uh, worms and feet are a big yeah. enemy of the lamb growth rate. and uh, must be proactive management on those. Otherwise, your growth rates will suffer straight away. It's the closest thing to the milk vat lamb growth rates. It's our quickest barometer of what goes in one day, comes out the next. But uh, just don't weigh them every second day because they lose weight locked in the yard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, look, um, I, there's always plenty to talk about, especially when you've got someone who's as passionate about the game as you are. Thanks a lot. Take care. And uh, go the Blues. Go the Blues. To see you. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleavers Organic Meats. All Cleavers products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments, are grass-fed from start to finish, and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef, and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Commodity Conversations. Please remember to share the podcast with your network and leave us a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice. Until next week, take care.